Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, your host, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you will come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Hello, friends. I'm delighted today to bring you a conversation that merges things I care deeply about. Kids, safety, and how we can make change together in community. As some of you may know, I experienced a number of adverse childhood experiences, also commonly referred to as ACEs. When people learn this about me, they're surprised, especially if they know about the negative outcome statistics associated with ACEs. In my journey of learning about adverse childhood experiences, it became crystal clear that community, specifically trusted adults, was a major reason why I thrived as I moved into adulthood. What I find striking, too, is that there wasn't formal intervention of any kind by these trusted adults, though, of course, community agencies offer incredible support services for families. In my case, the people who ended up saving me, educators largely, didn't know exactly what was going on for me, but I suspect could see that I needed support. These people found ways to bolster my confidence and help me not label myself as dumb when I was struggling in school, and I struggled a lot in school. And they also encouraged my development in the thing I found joy in, which at that time was music. Both of these things, trusted adults, plus a passion to get lost in, were important because they both served to buffer me against the impact of toxic stress, the kind of sustained stress that can lead to negative health outcomes. My point is this, even though preventing child abuse and neglect may seem like something that happens in the privacy of a home, child adversity is a public issue. Every child deserves to thrive, and kids need safe, stable, and nurturing relationships and environments in order to do so. And the good news, we all can play a role in helping to make that happen. Today, I'm delighted to bring you a sponsored conversation with Dr. Melissa Merrick of Prevent Child Abuse America. In the before times, I had the joy of learning directly from Dr. Merrick about ACEs and the role we all play in helping kids thrive. I'm so delighted to have an opportunity to chat with Dr. Merrick again as I work with Prevent Child Abuse America to help bring more people into the conversation about how we can work together in community to support kids. Dr. Merrick is a dynamic, passionate human being, and I think you will love this conversation. It's about supporting kids, yes, and it's also about interconnectedness how we are all part of a bigger system and need one another in order to improve the lives of all families. Let's have a listen. So hello, Dr. Melissa Merrick. I'm so delighted to welcome you to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, I wanted to start before I get into our conversation today. You have just amassed an incredible amount of experience and uh, productive creative output and academic (laughs) output on the topic of adverse childhood experiences. And you've just done so much. So I would just love for you to give a little brief bio into your work in this area and how you find yourself at Prevent Child Abuse America today. 
Oh, great. Well, thank you. Um, I'm so happy to be with you today. Um, as you know, I spent a lot of uh, years, about 10 years at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention as a senior epidemiologist. So really just a scientist building the evidence on the real prevention solutions of, of adverse childhood experiences and child abuse and neglect in particular. I was the lead scientist for ACEs uh, for the portfolio of work for about eight years. Um, and then I joined this incredible organization in uh, the summer of 2019 as president and CEO. Prevent Child Abuse America is the nation's oldest um, uh, national nonprofit that really focuses on the primary prevention of child abuse and neglect. So that that is that we're trying to really stop child abuse and neglect before it occurs. Mm -hmm. So we use a really comprehensive public health approach. Um, we have state chapters around the country doing this work. And we also have an evidence-based home visitation program called Healthy Families America that's around the country. Um, so really, you know, advocacy, research, policy, um, we do all of those things in support of children and families. And then, as you know, I'm also a mom of two kids myself. I, I think that that's important to highlight because, mm -hmm. I mean, that's why I do this work. I do this work because I want the best for my own children, but I also know that the science is very strong that my children will do better if all of our children and families are doing better. So Wonderful. I think that's a little bit about me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I will say you are, I've seen a lot of academics present in my lifetime and you are an incredible presenter. So I just needed to yeah. say that and tell listeners that before we move on to our conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Well, let's dive in. I want to start with something that everybody can do immediately wherever they are. And that is to reflect on bias. I know this can be a very challenging topic for people to settle into and maybe even understand in the context of ACEs. So I'm wondering if you can explain in a really simple way how people can reframe perceptions they may have regarding the link between race and child abuse or neglect. Goodness, it's a big and super important question. And, you know, first of all, let me just say that when we even hear terms like ACEs or we think about child abuse and neglect, our, our dominant narrative is to think about, oh my goodness, those poor kids, mm -hmm. those poor kids over there in those families and to really other the whole situation and the whole context, right? And we, we go maybe to saving children or to treatment of issues after the fact, and we don't really think Instead, that we all have a role to play in keeping children and families safe and thriving. And so when you think about, you know, um, the many stressors that are on families, we know that these are not stressors that families can solve on their own, right? We know that all children need safe, stable environments and relationships to really be able to thrive. But for example, decades of housing discrimination and, mm. and income inequality and disinvestments in certain communities mean that black and brown families today are less likely to live in neighborhoods with good jobs, for example, right? Which leads mm -hmm. to more chronic stress which can lead to sort of a toxic stress response that floods the body with dangerous levels of stress hormones. And it really makes anger, hostility, depression, things like that, even more likely. So these are the things that really increase risk 
for children. And so it's it's sort of like not about race. It's about racism. You know, that's why we know that the structural and social determinants of health really exacerbate the context for families, right? And so if you already have ACEs and you also live in poverty and you don't have health insurance and you struggle uh, to get to work and you have to, you know, you don't have transportation, all of these things just overload families. And these are things that we all need to be part of the solution to prevent you know, child abuse and neglect and other ACEs before they occur for all families. Mm, yes, absolutely. And you can't see me, obviously, but I am sitting here shaking my head, uh, nodding my head rather. And you're reminding me that I'm going to link up a blog post I just shared as part of this um, camp- campaign uh, where I talk about a bit about the struggles that my parents as immigrants in the United States who mm-hmm. were dealing with racism as they were trying to raise seven kids and we had no health care and all those things, you know, there's so much that can create a feeling of overwhelm and, you know, yeah. lead to a lot of challenges. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I, I just think, you know, parenting anytime is hard, but parenting during a global health pandemic, during a time of real acute racial and civil unrest, Mm. the overload and overburden on all of us, all of us families is so high. And so we really need each other, you know, and in this time of sort of physical distancing, unfortunately people got, you know, disconnected from their emotional and social supports, Mm -hmm. which also are strong protective factors all the time for children and families. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you're you're teeing me up perfectly because, you know, one thing that I heard about from a lot of people during this challenging time we've been in is that feeling of not having a village was even more profound. And in fact, some people shared with me, have shared with me that they, you know, moved or relocated and then they didn't have support systems. And so in these situations, especially, I think asking for help, it's difficult it's overwhelming, especially if you're trying to figure out where to look for community-based resources. Mm. What do you recommend for people who need support services and maybe a little daunted about where to look? Yeah, goodness. First of all, let me just say that we all need support, right? None of us uh, do this parenting job um, alone. We all need each other. And at different times, we need different just different kinds of supports too, right? And different families need different kinds of support. So, you know, you mentioned moving during a pandemic. I had moved my family and young kids from Atlanta to Chicago about six months before, um, you know, lockdown, if mm. you will. And so we didn't have that sense of community, right? And And it was really through, because we live in a safe neighborhood, we were able to walk around a lot and sort of have FaceTime with neighbors that we would have never met, you know, in uh, before when people were just, you know, doing their own thing in sort of quote unquote normal times. Right. So there's those kinds of just connections of, you know, FaceTime with people and and just, you know, getting to know our neighbors. But certainly when, you know, the stressors are high, we need other kinds of concrete supports and community supports, you know, uh, uh, housing uh, help and and food help and, and just connections. So there's lots of great resources around the country and in different communities. So first of all, family resource centers are mm-hmm. family support and strengthening programs that are located around the country. In some places they're called 
family success centers. Sometimes they're called parent-child centers, but they're always community-based. They really are welcoming hubs of services that really reduce stigma, right? It's not like Mm -hmm. you have to have a referral to go there. Actually, most of people, uh, families that go to family resource centers heard about it from another family that was able to get some of their uh, needs met there. Another kind of great resource are, you know, evidence-based home visiting programs that exist around the country. Healthy Families America is the one. Mm-hmm. Um, our signature uh, uh, evidence-based home visiting program at Prevent Child Abuse America, but it's all around the country, 38 states, D.C., the territories, and 600 sites, and can often, you know, not only provide those in-home services for, for new parents that are, you know, transitioning to new parenthood and need support and 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 uh, you know modeling of of parenting strategies in that newborn period, but also can really connect with services that are in your community. And then finally, you know, during this time at the Prevent Child Abuse America uh, website, we've really invested on just developing sort of a widget, if you will, that's on our page that allows people to put in their zip code and really find, you know, a whole host of services near them. So mm. local food, housing, uh, goods and transit, health and, and care services, even financial services. So you can go to our website and 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 get that information for yourself. And that's at preventchildabuse.org. But it's really easy. And there's there's a little widget there that you can get started. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love all the resources. And of course, I'll just remind listeners that in the show notes for this episode, I will link all of these things up. We'll have everything in one place for you. Well. Melissa, you mentioned the home visits, and there was something I wanted to talk to you about specifically related to that. Uh, You and I both know very well the stress of being a new parent. And Mm -hmm. I actually recently learned through this work um, with Prevent Child Abuse America that there's something for new moms in at least 40 states. Many new moms welcome a nurse into their home for regular visits. And then the piece that I was, you know, my, my sort of research years stood up at was that Um, 40 years of evaluation has shown that this model yields an array of positive outcomes, including fewer health problems for mom and baby, reduced incidences of child abuse and neglect. I mean, it makes so much sense, but obviously having the data there, it's very exciting. (laughs) So how do people access nurses or other home visit programs? And are you able to say what the expenses look like? Or or I don't know if that varies a lot by state, but Mm -hmm, any information mm -hmm. you could give as a preliminary would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, evidence-based home visiting, as you said, you know, has years, decades of research as such a powerful prevention solution for families, right? Again, having um, a nurse or another family support specialist Uh, you know, community member that's been trained in positive parenting strategies and developmental milestones and really just has been trained to help support whatever the needs of the family would come into the home. You know, again, at pre, you know, when you're pregnant, you can um, have uh, a relationship with a home visitor that starts or usually, you know, right after the birth or adoption of a child, but they come and they stay with you, right? And they help you navigate the stressors of new parenthood. So Healthy Families America, that's an example of one that has the best uh, research evidence too. Again, that's uh, Prevent Child Abuse America's model. 
But over 30 years, this is uh, Healthy Families America is celebrating their 30, 30th anniversary this year and has, I mean, the, the impacts of these home visiting solutions are, are powerful. So mm-hmm. not only do we see 49% reduction in child abuse and neglect um, in, in Healthy Families America? We also see reductions in intimate partner violence, right? Domestic violence improves. Mm-hmm. We also see improved economic self-sufficiency for parents. So, I mean, this is the, the data point that I just find so impactful is that HFA, so Healthy Families America moms, in particular teen moms, are seven times more likely to to complete at least a year of college. I mean, it's powerful what that will do to transform lives, not only of of babies in the next generation, but of these parents, right? And young parents often. Um, And maternal maternal mortality outcomes improve. um, Child health and well-being outcomes. We know that less families um, report homelessness, when they're involved in some of these uh, evidence-based home visiting programs. So the the, the research is, is so strong. I will just say here that unfortunately, first of all, the way there's no cost to families to be in these programs, right? Mm. These are, we, we advocate hard every day um, to be able to um, uh, get the funds to support this kind of programming around the country. But across many of the leading evidence-based home visiting models that receive money, federal money from, from a particular line um, that were, that's up for reauthorization this year, we are only supporting or meeting the needs of three to five percent of the families who could benefit from home wow. visitation. Mm-hmm. So it is woefully underfunded and unavailable. So again, such a big thing that Prevent Child Abuse America does in partnership with many, many other partners uh, in prevention is to advocate for more of these sites because they do have so much impact for children and families. Wow, that's incredible. Incredible. Well, can you can you talk a little bit more? I actually wanted to zoom out a little bit broader and talk about some solutions and why supporting children and family matters. You've already, you know, pointed to some of this research, but is there anything else that you would like people to know um, about how these programs on the ground will impact society as a whole? Yeah, absolutely. And I know, Christine, you know this well. You know, I led our adverse childhood experiences portfolio for CDC for many mm-hmm. years, so the science portfolio. And we know that, I mean, decades of research has found that things that happen in childhood, both positive and negative, right, really can can stay with us over the lifespan. And so the more adversity, adverse childhood experiences and other kinds of adversity in our children's relationships and environments set them on a trajectory toward negative health outcomes, negative, uh, you know, impacts. And and so really, when we think about prevention and, and that if we have good stuff that happens for children and families on the front end, we are more likely to have healthier, uh, more thriving, more prosperous mm-hmm. uh, children and families that benefits everyone. So it kind of, in my brain, it doesn't matter if you're in the business of preventing mental health problems or reducing substance misuse or making a lot of money for your business and in the economy, right? If you have healthier children um, that live in healthier families, in communities that support their, their thriving in a country that really supports all of us, um, being able to to reach our maximum health and life potential, 
you will have benefits that reverberate not only across sector in society, but reverberate across uh, generations. Mm, I love that. And yeah, I mean, we focus a lot on the solutions, but it, you know, obviously part of the solution are these positive, really enriching things. So I'm, I'm really glad you um, highlighted that. Well, so you, you had just talked touched on advocacy a moment ago and people, mm-hmm. listeners of the show know that I'm very advocacy oriented, whether it's <laughs> at a bigger level or just a really micro level. So I would love to talk about advocacy and how people can get involved. And specifically, I first wanted to call out um, a statistic that I, again, made my ears perk up, but the American Academy of Pediatrics released a study that shows that for every additional $1,000 spate states spend on benefit programs per person living in poverty, child abuse and neglect reports went down 4.3%, foster care placements went down 2.1%, and abuse-related child deaths went down 7.7%. It's mm-hmm. it's incredible. I mean, $1,000, like, it's incredible. What are some simple ways that people can plug in to advocate for family benefit programs in their states, because I'm all about the hyper-local. I think that's where, (laughs) that's where it's at for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I too, when I hear those statistics, it's so compelling, but let me share one that for me is like a no brainer. Um, It's, and that is how we can provide and strengthen economic supports for families in states that just increase their minimum wage by $1, right? $1. Mm-hmm. Those states saw 10% reductions in child neglect. Wow. I mean, Whoa. it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. $1 increase in minimum wage and that is, you know, trying to aspire to getting a livable wage for mm-hmm. families. 10% reductions in child neglect. Now this Again, we started this conversation talking about bias. Let me just say this gets back to a lot of that in terms of our definitions in this country of child neglect are so intertwined with poverty. And we need to, as researchers, as practitioners, as advocates, really try to disentangle actual child neglect from just not having enough resources to be able to meet the needs of a family. So anyway, that's that's a tangent, but that's also important. But yes, mm-hmm. there are these concrete policy solutions that really have huge impacts. So even during, you know, some of the government uh, rescue plans related to COVID, you know, child tax credits and those economic supports for families lift lifted millions of people out of poverty, right? But then when those kinds of concrete supports go away, then again, the overload of stressors becomes more uh, palpable again. So really, we are in the business of really advocating for federal and state policies that connect families to economic supports. Mm -hmm. So these are things like temporary aid for needy families, housing assistance, nutrition supplements, Um, I agree with you that this starts locally. So first of all, to all the listeners, like voting, voting, Mm -hmm. voting, right? And your elected officials and letting them know what you believe, right? What your values are, how you believe not only in the research and the science, but in the humanity of providing what um, 
families need when they need it before they're in crisis, right? This is these front end solutions that we're talking about that really benefit all of us. Um, family friendly policies, this is another one that we need to make known to our elected leaders, you know, that that uh, paid family leave, um, mm-hmm. childcare subsidies, all of these things really help, again, lessen that load. And then, you know, really in terms of your own kind of charitable giving, donating to organizations that are really committed to supporting families in your community or nationally. That's how we change norms. That's how we change how we show up for each other. Um, So we have a whole um, sort of policy action center um, on our website to help get you started. So Mm -hmm. certainly that will be in the show notes for people to access. But I just think this can't be underscored enough. You can have the best programs, but if you don't have a sort of societal um, context that really supports children and really values children and families and wants to see them thrive, even the best evidence-based programming is not going to get us out of those issues. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, this is so much good information. These show notes are going to be just uh, loaded with lots of good resources. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, Melissa, you have just shared so much in such a loving and um, hopeful context, honestly, and I'm deeply appreciative of that. And I do have one more question for you, though. At the end of each show, I have guests share what I call your next edit. It's a super actionable tip that listeners can consider doing right away after they finish listening. And I know there are many things that one could do, <laughs> but in the context of our conversation today, I would love for you to share your next edit for this episode. Oh, I love that you end every every uh, episode like this, and I, I love thinking about you know what is the what do we, what can we do right now? Mm-hmm. And I would say that I would be remiss if I didn't mention that April is Child Abuse Prevention Month, um, and so it's a it's a national uh, kind of celebration month that we all come together to see how can we together grow a healthier future for all children, right? And how we rely on each other. So I would encourage folks to go to our website and see our toolkit um, around Mm -hmm. Child Abuse Prevention Month. It gives you a lot of the links to um, uh, writing a letter right now to your policymakers about some of the things we've talked about, but also fun ways of getting involved. April 27th is Digital Advocacy Day, so we'll all be writing letters on the same topic, and that's to bring in more money for evidence-based home visitation um, around the country. So there are just a whole collection of things that if you go to our website, um, I hope you can join us in Child Abuse Prevention Month this year. This is our 50th anniversary at Prevent Child Abuse America, and we are just so excited, not just about all the things we've done already for children and families, but what together we can do in the future. Oh, so wonderful. And I'm so grateful for the work that you um, have dedicated your life to and you continue to do. And it was just a joy to reconnect on the line today. So Dr. Melissa Merrick, thank you for being part of this conversation today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to have heard your voice and I can't wait to see you in person soon. Take care. Friends, I hope you enjoyed this conversation today. You'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at edityourlifeshow.com or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. 
I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening.